my job on this podcast is to make fun of you, but I'm not going to say anything bad about Jimmy Buffett. Do I have to think he's the best music in the world? It's just a fun <laughs> place to go, man. <laughs> and if I'm on a boat, I want to hear Buffett. Live from the Mundangerous Ironworks in New York City, I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 300 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're answering all of your questions in our sixth anniversary Mega Mailbag Special. And later, Dora the Explorer gets some help from you in the Character Creation Forge. Hey, uh, Shane. Is, is this sixth anniversary or is this a uh, tricentennial? Oh, dear Lord. Um, I mean, we've been doing this long enough, I think. But, like, we started in August, so, like, <laughs> could it count as... That's a fair point. I'm just saying, it's, like, it's been six and a half years. Yeah, because our birthday was my birthday. Oh. I know that because it was my birthday. Yeah. Um, did you like how I checked that the sixth anniversary gift traditionally is iron? Is that so what we that... that I thought it might be, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, or candy, apparently, but... Oh. Yeah. Yeah, well, the Mundangerous Candy Shop was less popular, I guess. Mm, Gobstopper Factory. Always getting <laughs> burgled. Right. <laughs> I don't know why one Gobstopper will last you a whole lifetime. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's impossible. What if we create a Gobstopper? We still market it as everlasting, but we just make it so that it is not. Little by little, it winnows down, and then we convince people that it's their fault. They're somehow sucking on it wrong. Oh, they're, they're misusing the Gobstopper. They're right. stopping the gob of the Gobstopper. Right. So, of course, you'll need to buy another Gobstopper. Got to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A free Gobstopper replacement program would, would sink us financially. <laughs> oh, dear, dear Lord. Think <laughs> of the liability. We, we can't afford to warranty these. <laughs> uh... <laughs> so anyway, as you may have seen from this intro, uh, we are having some fun today. Our uh, our normal topics are on hold as we get to the mailbag. The Gates of Morning campaign will be taking a break until next week. Uh, we, of course, will still have a plot hook of the week in the bonus content. Um, oh, yeah. And... It's called, uh, you wouldn't download a fireball, would you? <laughs> uh, okay. I can't wait to play Metallica. I assure you, I would LimeWire it, no problem. Right. Um, and then also, our AP starts next week. Uh, the beginning of January, for the month of January, we will return to an actual play format. Ishan, what game are we playing? Fifth edition D&D. Okay. <laughs> what a big reveal. We played the most popular game on Earth. <laughs> Look, we we toyed with the idea of playing the one ring, the second edition of the One Ring. Um, no, we toyed with Tolkien listeners' RPG. hearts. We oh, yeah, toyed with listeners' true. hearts. That's mm -hmm. all we, we toyed with. We tugged on them, and then we snapped those little heartstrings. Uh, I mean, look, the idea is not shelved. Perhaps we'll do it in the future. Perhaps not as a solo game. I don't know. At us about who we should have on the show to do a One Ring actual play, so that we can also. Destroy their dreams. Okay, great. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we will be returning to Eberron. Uh, we will be picking up with the uh, adventures of Tez Proudgale, uh, <laughs> rogue archaeologist from uh, Morgrave University, and recently uh, press-ganged into working for the trust of Zalargo. Plus his good buddy Meepo and uh, <laughs> Skelebro, newly enfleshed. Skelebro. Yeah, dude. Skelebro's dang hero. 
You're not wrong. <laughs> and that, in fact, was the topic of a, a rant some months back. And, you know, I'm sure I'm sure we'll get all into it sure. again. So you want to get into the nitty gritty of a solo 5e D&D Eberron campaign? January is where it's at. Uh, and just like last time, we're going to do a debrief episode. That'll be the first week of February um, to talk about, like, the choices we made, why we did it, and what we would do differently. All right. Shall we get into the mailbag? Oh, let's dive in. So many questions here. Um, uh, which, one, ooh, which ones should we open first? How about all of these envelopes marked questions about kids? <laughs> sure. Let's get it. All right. So a bunch of you have questions about gaming, gaming while being a parent, I guess, right? Because both of us became a parent within uh, the last year. So, and of course, you know that because we keep talking about it. So mm -hmm. Jeff asks, how has having kids changed your gaming? I ask because I also just had my first child in August. Congratulations. And I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to GM in the near future, as I'm in a group which rotates GMs every four to six months, and I'm hoping to pick up the reins next. Uh, we also got one from Zach from Australia. Congratulations on fatherhood to you both. I'm a soon-to-be dad myself. And, Congratulations. And I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about how having a baby has changed your gaming habits. And Shinigami on Discord asks, uh, obviously children have impacted your ability to play games, and you guys mentioned some of it uh, in a previous episode. Can you wax a little longer on the topic? Yes, we can. And from Theo... How do you think being a parent will affect your engagement with our hobby? Do you see having a regular campaign? And follow up, what's the most surprising thing so far about parenting? Okay, so I'm sensing a theme, which is basically like anxiety about having enough time to game when you are a parent. Correct. This is extraordinarily warranted, especially in the early days. Um, I haven't talked about this, but I think it's going to be the topic of like an entire episode in the future. Um, my daughter was born in February. And I did not play in our regular weekly home group for seven months, which is the longest I've gone without gaming in, I don't know, two decades. Well, in fairness, we were still playing an actual play during that time. So <laughs> you did have one regular game, Isha, had, and it was horrible because it was with I, me. I had, I had an outlet and I wish I hadn't. <laughs> um and you know like there were ways for me to scratch that itch where you know like we have the discord and so you know i, I knew that all of you were gaming on monday and i would see like the the in-game chat happening you know i couldn't exactly tell what was going on but you know i could weigh in and make jokes or whatever or like you know the next day um like if i you know because i wasn't on you know discord every, every single day so like uh, the, i at least had touch points for gaming and also like a podcast right it wasn't it wasn't cold turkey but like if you don't have those, expect that you are not going to have time for anything optional, period, gaming or otherwise. I actually, like, I was only gone for, like, maybe a month. Um, like, but that was completely because of COVID, right? Like, the mm -hmm. fact that we were remote made it is the only reason it was possible for me to join at that point. But, like, we just got lucky. The, the main thing is really it's about sleep schedule. Right. And so if you can play games after the baby goes to sleep consistently and you can work out with your partner uh, or, or co-parent like to to free up like that feeding that is invariably going to happen during the course of a three or four hour gaming session, 
Like if you can get that coverage, right, and kind of time it out and have some flexibility with your group, you could still play, right? And there were definitely times where it was like, uh, I got a dip because <laughs> I got a baby situation, right? And it was just like, okay, well, you know, sometimes Shane misses. Um, so, so like that was doable. And then especially once she got on a sleep schedule, right, and it was like, okay, we were pretty consistently like she's down by 6, 6.30, like, and she's not getting up again until like midnight. Right. Like then it was like, okay, actually we do have time to ourselves at night. And like, I can actually like take some of that time to play games. So, um, that was kind of the key for me, uh, in terms of like actually running a game and doing the prep work. Uh, I am currently running a game, um, now a year, uh, into it, uh, which I started, you know, a, few a year into having a baby, not a year into running a game. Right. Yeah. No, I started the game a few months ago and like, the hardest part of that was like getting the game materials prepped, but like I chose a game in Band of Blades that is intentionally very low prep, right? So like I kind of just had to read my notes of what happened last time, and then like sometimes I have to roll some dice to generate some missions, which is just like make something up, <laughs> right? And then a lot of it is just improvised throughout like the the, the GM process because it's based on Band of Blades. So, um, like look for games like that. I don't think I could prep like an actual D and D campaign. Uh, at the same time while having a full-time job while having a kid <laughs> yeah like uh, maybe like a, a genesis system type game where like you never roll any dice you know and all you're doing is like in the moment on the fly interpreting dice results um narrative games obviously those are those are going to be a lot easier so like jeff it totally depends on what system you're playing um and it and it depends on the baby it depends on the particular kid because like shane same as you like my daughter started going down and sleeping for long periods of time, but then she got teeth and she got them early. Right. <laughs> yeah. And... You're, like our kids like teeth at the same time, even though <laughs> right. like they're two months apart. <laughs> and like once they start, they don't stop. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, but like if you are, if you're gaming remotely, it actually is so, so much easier because like Jim also has a kid who's, two now mm -hmm. and i think he was gone maybe like four months um right. like uh when the baby first showed up but even now like all three of us are like parents on zoom and the expectation is just that like sometimes you go on mute you know yeah and for like <laughs> well, 10 well, minutes 20 minutes or whatever and like it means you're dealing with a thing right and right. if your turn comes around and you don't respond like great you get skipped and we'll come back to you because like you're dealing with a thing and maybe that's poop in the bathtub maybe it's a screaming baby maybe you know you need to do something else while your partner is handling one of those things or they're doing something important or whatever right um and you know we would have done that for jim even if there weren't any other parents but like it is super helpful in terms of like not just empathy but sympathy <laughs> right because there's so many parents in the group right now yeah that's that is actually like that that was one of the things that was very helpful is like i was talking to jim pretty regularly at that point because we you know we're playing video games together um and then also like you know we had game night so it was just like if i needed somebody to vent to and like he had a very colicky baby so he was like it could be so much worse like mm -hmm. just like you'll get through this like trust me you'll get through this like like the challenges are just going to change and they're like you're going to wonder how you got through it and you're going to look back and it's like well we survived <laughs> uh we made it through um i played like you know 20 minutes of a, a game and i think i think like playing on zoom with a headset and like occasionally going on mute in order to like handle baby stuff or like cook dinner or, or whatever. Right. 
um, or like put milk in bottles, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all of which is, is happening while while I'm gaming. Um, just like made me realize how much downtime there is at the table, typically. Mm -hmm. You know, like when it's not your turn, um, or when like two other people are like having an RP moment or or whatever, you know, and like you're listening, but you can get so much other stuff done while you're listening and still stay engaged. Uh, now, I think a lot, a lot of this calculus is going to change if we ever get back to gaming in person, because that is both easier and harder, right? Like you are committing up front to being present and then you're there for the whole time. But that also means you are not present at home with right. the baby. So that either means like your partner or a babysitter is watching the baby and is fully committed to that. And so you can focus on the game, sure, but there are going to be more weeks or more sessions that you're going to miss because you can't fully commit to not being around the baby. Right, exactly. And then, you know, the kid gets sick or like, you know, have to work late or whatever, you know, the the different life things that happen along the way are like, you know, every little bump in the road can can feel like a boulder because like now you've got to coordinate, you've got to figure out how you're going to solve this problem. You're going to cover this or cover that or like you know you so you just have to be like much more in sync in order to get that time free to actually leave the house for a for a prolonged period <laughs> of time by plan um but like you know I, I we figure it out um and i think like they they age pretty rapidly to the point where that's more manageable solo uh at least with one kid <laughs> yeah we'll see like you know what <laughs> first one to have two is going to have some uh, interesting new learning <laughs> um so just to touch on like the very specific points asked in these questions so let's see jeff is in the rotating gaming group so we've got an episode on uh, games with multiple gms you know there, there's some advice in in there um for you that i think will be applicable um are you hoping to pick up the reins next or do you have to because let's see first child was in august so that's only that's four months ago can you go to six months i think six months will be easier than four months yeah probably and, and to me again that's all about the selection of the game right pick a game mm. that doesn't demand a lot of your time when you're not at the table um you know anything that's going to be low prep for you anything that you know the game system really well uh or the setting really well i think is probably p pick an easy game to run because there's yeah. going to be enough challenges <laughs> right like that that's basically what it's at right because like the the time commitment of of running a game is no different at the table than the time commitment in playing a game the additional time commitment is the prep um, and like, here's, here's the thing. We'll, we'll talk a bit about low prep in a, in a second, but like, if you have a boring job where you can, I don't know, your security guard or whatever, and you just sit there and you have hours and hours, like do nothing, you can prep that, like prep on the job, you know, like find other times. <laughs> okay. So that's our official <laughs> advice is steal from is, the man. Is prep, prep. Cool. Cool, I, cool. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's our, our subtitle. It's uh, yeah, RPG exactly. advice from our, <laughs> our game to yours. Steal from your boss. Right. The only time I won't prep at work is when I'm uh, on the toilet on account of that's my time. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, this, this time is mine, not my right. boss's, but also not the gaming groups. Right. <laughs> uh, Another question was, what's changed your gaming habits? Uh, I think for the most part, 
they probably haven't changed much. I guess we don't we don't have any ancillary games, right? Mm, mm-hmm, like the only mm-hmm. games we're playing is really our home group game now. I know, like, our I think our our other kind of like side groups and side games have probably uh, disappeared on us. Yeah, like you know, I I've talked previously about like you know sometimes scratching a different itch with a play by post game, and like I'm absolutely in no play by post games and have no bandwidth for that whatsoever. I I would say my gaming is probably a lot more focused than it was prior just because i'm like oh man 10 minutes of of like it, gaming is is a full 10 minutes of gaming not like three minutes of gaming and then like paying attention to something else or thinking about a different game or you know joking around right <laughs> like i was always the person at the table who was like can we stay focused and like move ahead with the plot and now like i have doubled down on that <laughs> <laughs> no more memes <laughs> stop it uh factor engage uh yeah how will it affect our engagement with the hobby do you see having a regular campaign yeah so we do have a regular campaign um you know i mean i don't think it affects our engagement with the hobby like it, it might change the, the 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 nature of it right like maybe it's harder to go to conventions maybe we we have to cut mm. down to to one convention at a time uh for a while um but again with covid kind of hitting at the same time like a lot of those things we couldn't do even without kids right so um in a lot of ways it's been surprising how little it's changed my engagement with the hobby um but i don't know how much of that is parenting versus covid Mm -hmm. and then what's the most surprising thing so far about parenting um so i think maybe i've talked about this before i used to be a runner like mid-distance and it always struck me how like as you like get back into shape it is not that the task becomes easier it is that your tolerance for pain rises (laughs) (laughs) that's why running is a horrible habit (laughs) so like you know you you can push through more without being like nah i'm gonna stop and i have found that sleep deprivation is basically the same thing it doesn't get easier to like miss out on sleep or stay up or or whatever you like you need to do but like you do whatever it is you need to do like if if the kid needs you to do a thing it doesn't matter how tired you are like i got my um my booster shot last week and like you know 14 hours later i was miserable but i still got up and fed the baby and like played with the baby and bounced the baby and like picked her up and like stuck her on my shoulders even though like what i wanted to do was die <laughs> you know? okay but, but what i did was like smile and like giggle right <laughs> and like that is not a thing that like single me could have ever comprehended doing right <laughs> um for me i think the most surprising thing about parenting has been uh the shift from like I used to survive the work week to enjoy the weekends and now like I kind of survived the weekend in order to <laughs> like enjoy our work week. Um, <laughs> not that work is any more fun, but like, you know, getting to see her in the morning and then she goes to daycare and then when she comes back from daycare, she's so happy and like we get to put her like, you know, her whole like bedtime routine is like really, really fun. The intervening eight hours can be hell <laughs> like when she's in a bad mood or she's not feeling well like i'm lost i'm like i don't know what else to do with her i can't tell why she's crying sometimes like 
you know, like her impulse control is basically zero. Her emotional, like she's pure stimulus response for her emotions. Like, yeah, and it's just like, it's a baby, right? It's just like, you have to be on and paying attention 100% of the time when you're responsible for her. Whereas like when I can hand her off to a qualified professional at daycare, like <laughs> I can actually relax. <laughs> yeah. Like weekends are, weekends are not, they're not a recharge time anymore you know no, not at all <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it feels like oh what did, what did we do this week like sunday night i i get the the sunday scaries right because monday's coming and i'm like well i gotta go back to work but like you look back and like what did i do this weekend oh right i probably spent all told about eight hours preparing to leave the house right <laughs> <You know? laughs> like like putting enough stuff in the stroller so that we can like go out and have a nice time for an hour and a half before she needs to take a nap yeah exactly but you know, the, then uh, you, you go back to work, and like that nine a.m. meeting doesn't seem quite as bad because like these people are way a lot, a lot easier to deal with. And then sometimes vice versa, right? Right. <laughs> sometimes screaming baby sounds like like the ideal alternative to like the garbage you're hearing in this meeting right now. Oh yeah, no happy baby at like you know seven o'clock is like is great. <laughs> you know like wakes up fresh-eyed happy to see you like just just needs a bottle to like you know chill for the morning like that's that's great like that's what you do it for yeah that's <laughs> that's actually, that's my favorite yeah right all right that's 20 minutes 20 minutes on babies you should <laughs> let's let's keep great. it moving <laughs> all right so kermit the pog says follow up on this uh because i've got a baby on the way as well congratulations, congratulations. uh some gm tips for low prep uh, first of all, find the game uh, mm -hmm. that that doesn't demand a lot of you. Second of all, know the game well. Um, so you know, run run game like even if it's more complicated, run a game that you know the rules well, so you don't have a lot of referencing to do in mm -hmm. preparation. Um, you know, I think it's it's good to have lots of open ended stories. Try to try to make your story more character driven. Um, you know, and and try to. Uh, you can you can pad out a session if you build in kind of role playing questions. <laughs> so it's like, what does this scene look like as you arrive back from the dungeon, right? And like, cool. What do you do? Let's role play that, right? And mm -hmm. it does like the outcome of that is not going to drive anything that's going to require a, a, a ton of preparation on your part. So you're setting yourself up to pad out sessions with improvisational time rather than um you know an extra two combat encounters that are going to make sure you know you're going to have to do some digging in the uh in the monster manual to make sure that you understand how to run them and get them all prepped and then have the map and the minis and blah 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 blah. yeah like if you're not already doing this this is a great opportunity to introduce your group to um you know having a lot more agency in creating the game world um you know, you don't need to be the one to tell them every single thing that's in the room. You know, you describe that this is a thieves guild and you're now in the inner sanctum. You know, give me a couple of things that are in here. You know, um, like pull your weight, mm -hmm. you lazy bastards. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a good point about knowing the game system. Like there's in, in Taoism, there's this concept of Wu Wei work without work and the idea is that you are so good so practiced at something that it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like it takes effort anymore even though like obviously it takes a ton of effort right but you, you see a master at their craft and it seems 
easy. Um, and, you know, if you ask them in the moment, they might be like, oh, I guess I guess that did kind of seem easy, but it's only because I've been doing it so much and so well. But like for, for like right now, I could I could if I needed to, like just sit down with some dice and spin out a 5e session for people. You know, I could do a pickup game off the top of my head in fifth yeah. edition, but that's the only system I could do it in currently because that's the one that I have overall the most experience in but also like the most like recent experience in um yeah and then you know prep at work <laughs> steal from the man yeah uh you know if you don't have the commute anymore that gets a little tougher right i used to do a lot of prep on the commute yeah well and i mean we had the benefit of of having a you know subway, subway public transportation yeah. commute where you know it's harder when you're driving you've got to do some mental notes but can't really write anything down. What I actually used to do, I would write term papers while driving to college, right, from my, like, off-campus apartment um, by using a voice recorder. And I would just, like, speak the term paper sentence by sentence as as I was driving. And then, like, you know, in the computer lab, get it on paper. But these days, are, there's plenty of transcription options. So, like, if you needed to in the car or whatever while you're stuck in traffic... Like that's a potential option. Use your iPhone voice memo, I guess. Yeah, Ugh, right. That sounds horrible. <laughs> and then email it to yourself. <laughs> right. And then transcribe it at work. <laughs> All right. Uh, another another question from Theo. What are your favorite settings aside from Eberron and 40K? Oh, wow. We've just been named and shamed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Eberron and 40K. Okay. Well, Theo has our number. Um, mine is Planescape. I love, love, love Planescape. Um, it's, uh, Monty Cook's, uh, setting from second edition D and D that has never officially been updated. I'm super hoping we're going to get a fifth edition version of it, but I also know it will break my heart because it will not quite live up to like the ridiculousness of like Cockney rhyming slang, Baylor's like playing dice in an alley with like a, a, a goat headed creature that speaks in rebuses. That's uh yeah that's not low prep. <laughs> Yo god dear god no. Yeah, anything with a an accent absolutely is not. I don't know that I'll ever be able to run a Planescape game at this point. <laughs> uh what about you? I I guess are these meant to be gaming settings? Is that is that how you're reading it? Uh yeah, I am. I'm Okay. But I mean, if you have others, I mean, you can run a game in any setting. I mean, if you have if you have other fictional settings. Yeah, I I mean not even fiction, right? Like uh so I love Black Company uh which is which is a fictional setting of course um which is kind of just this like dark magical um very human centric kind of world um i also like i really like um it's interesting the the settings that i like are the ones that are tied to media that i enjoyed right so um i love the setting of peaky blinders which is mm -hmm. like post world war 1 um birmingham and uh and obviously they're they're like a, a street gang called the Peaky Blinders, right? And it's about their interactions with different power groups within like local government, but then also kind of expanding into the crown and even somewhat internationally as they kind of grow in fame and um and legitimacy. Um I think that setting like I think that point in English politics is fascinating, right? Like there's the like Leninism, labor movements, um, you know, the monarchy, uh the you know, kind of the the, the different like dynamics of soldiers returning from war and stuff. I think that's really fascinating. 
Uh, the Napoleonic Wars, I think, is also really interesting. Like the, mm. you know, soldiers in Wellington's army versus Napoleon's army. Like, I think that's a like a fascinating time period as well. So, I mean, frankly, if I were going to do something like Legion of Lasguns, right? Like, uh, like we're doing for uh, Imperial Guardsmen, Band of Blades. If I were going to do that with non-fictional setting, I would probably aim for that time period. So Peaky Blinders is like a consummate representation of how to make organized criminals into your anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Like they're not good guys, but they're the good guys. Right. Yeah. And and that's because they take on bigger gangs. You know, they right, help the community people. where they can. They like they shield the 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 powerless from the like predations of institutional power. Um, and then as they grow in legitimacy, right, like they kind of become those institutions themselves, but mm-hmm. you know, spoilers for the later seasons. Yeah, but they're worthwhile to watch. Um, I also really like the Lancer setting. I think we have both sworn off the Lancer system because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's a fourth edition D&D tabletop miniature war game with lots of little fiddly bits, which is fun in small doses. Um, but it's like a far future um like post scarcity uh utopia with mechs. So, you know, I'm very into that. And then uh, Eclipse Phase, I'm on the record as absolutely loving the transhuman um like existential crisis fiction. Mm-hmm. Um it also it's also a difficult system to really run a game in. All right, the next question. Uh, I know Shane would love to do a good Pirates campaign. What other campaigns would you love to do someday? God, Theo listens to the show, apparently. Uh, I'll tell you the answer. Uh, for me, it's uh, it's running the Dracula dossier for mm. uh, Night's mm-hmm. Black Agents. I, I don't know if I want to run it or play it, but uh, the concept is like um, Bram Stoker's Dracula was a coded MIA after action report as they... Uh, sorry, MI6 after action report as they tried to recruit Dracula <laughs> to become an agent of the crown. So that went poorly. Uh, and now, uh, you know, the the game is Knights Black Agents, so you are modern day trying to uh, deal with Dracula, who has been um, enabled <laughs> by British intelligence and uh, <laughs> now has spy powers. Uh, I think it's just fascinating. It parkours. Yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely hardcore parkours. <laughs> um, I think you should run the game so that uh, I mean, look at the benefits. Low prep for me, um, <laughs> and I get to play the Dracula dossier. And I might finally read Dracula. I huh? I, it, I fell off of it after like eighty pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after they met Tom Bombadil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tom Bombadil wouldn't shut up with his songs, and I quit Dracula. <laughs> All right, next question comes from P. Twiddle. How do you onboard a player into a new-to-them setting? I'm thinking of Eberron in particular, where my first step is, of course, listen to the TPT Eberron episode, uh, but it could be generic. Some players will obviously dive right into the lore, but to others that will feel like a burden. They'll learn as they play, obviously, but already at character creation, you want them to have a character that feels like part of the setting and saying, here's a book or PDF or wiki or whatever will just be overwhelming to a lot of players. Um, I think you've definitely got the right end of the challenge that you're facing. A lot of it's going to depend on this particular player. Like, how is it that they like to ingest information? Uh, it sort of goes back to like the elementary school thing. Like, are you a visual learner? Are you an auditory learner? Are you a kinesthetic learner? Right. Um, and honestly, like, 
I think those are good categories, right? If they're a visual learner, then yeah, give them a bunch of reading material. An auditory learner, it might be the podcast. It might be like sitting down one-on-one and actually talking about it. Or like if if they're new to the setting, they're probably new to the group and someone is onboarding. Like someone has brought them into the group who is probably already their friend. That person should be doing a lot of the heavy lifting and like the explanations. And maybe that'll be like while they're hanging out um, during the regular time that, that they had like, you know, because they have interactions that are outside the gaming group because this person isn't in the gaming group. Mm-hmm. So, like, during those times, they should be, like, telling cool, fun stories about, like, the adventures that the party has already had. And that um, sort of immerses the new person in the setting, uh, even if they don't necessarily know a lot about it. They become familiar, familiar with the individual characters and then also, like, the the terminology, the glossary, etc. Right. And if they're kinesthetic, it might just be that, yeah, you invite them and they learn by playing. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting uh, advice coming from you because you were in this exact situation with somebody else who's on this podcast and you did none of those things for me. Uh, and in I... fact, I brought a character thinking that uh, we were playing in a completely different setting, right? I uh, confused Ebron and Ra- Ravenloft. So, um... And look how it worked out. Yeah, Uh, I think uh, so in in terms of kinesthetic, I actually think character creation is the point where you can you can bring players in, Um, you know, if they have an idea of what kind of character they want to play, like, then you start piecing together, like, what are the elements of that character? And how would they fit into, like, say, Eberron, right? So, oh, I want to be a druid. Okay, well, there's a couple different, like, you know, groups that druids might be a part of or they might not, but like you might be a green singer, you might be a gatekeeper, right? Like you could be part of those groups. Like you, you know, um, are you interested in like having a dragon mark? Well, let me tell you about the dragon marks, right? Like if you know what race you want to be, you might might talk through that. Or like if you're like, oh, I want to be a halfling. It's like, do you want to be like, you know, a civilized halfling, or do you want to be a rad halfling who rides dragons? Let me tell you about the Talenta Plains, right? And like, <laughs> find like the, those kind of things where it's like they give you like a couple crumbs of interest, and you just be like, "Great, let me tell you about the coolest parts of that thing," uh, and just get them excited about stuff, right? Yeah, like you gate the information behind a flowchart, right? You know, and like you are you are the flowchart, and like Shane, you you joke, but like if you want to read exactly how Shane got onboarded and developed his character, Bran Talandro, um, we have 25,000 words of it uh, on the website. Um, what is it? Oh, the annotated history of Bran Talandro, uh, which also ran as a several part series on tribality. Uh, you can read that any of those places you do not need to do the extent of the like character creation prep that we did. We were, I think both bored at work. Is that what was oh, happening? Oh, we were both very unhappy at work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were both deeply unhappy at work and leaving our jobs. <laughs> Steal from the man. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what happened. Um, but you know, the conversation was yes, you had the wrong end of like the, the setting from from the get go. But you know, you did get in it, get it into your head that like, oh, I like this whole Inquisition thing. That seems interesting. And then I was like, oh, great. Here's a book you might be interested interested in called Faiths of Eberron. I didn't worry about like Dragons of Eberron or Magic of Eberron, right? And I didn't even like direct you toward the entire book. I think I excised like the Thrain chapter mm-hmm. on the Silver Flame and was like, here's the stuff you'd know about the Silver Flame. 
does this seem interesting? We can keep going down this rabbit hole if that's what you want to do. But like, I didn't go any further until you were like, oh yeah, I read this and I think that's super cool. Let's do it. Right. All right. Next question from Astro. I've been thinking purely theoretically about the idea of a truly improvised campaign, one where the DM doesn't really do prep beyond a rough vibe for a setting and instead relies entirely on procedural generation at the table for content. A lot of hex crawls sort of do this. And I've also thought about using a Twitter bot like at uh, STR Voyage, I'm guessing that's Strange Voyage, to quickly generate themed scenarios. But again, purely theoretical. Haven't actually run anything like that. Uh, technically, this doesn't have a question, <laughs> but uh, so moving on. Yeah, no, I uh, I guess we can maybe perhaps comment or uh, or offer some advice on on why we would or wouldn't do that. I mean, this feels a little bit like what a roguelike mm-hmm. at the table. Um, Where did I you mean, learn you that word from? Our episode on Hades. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, you you play computer generated procedurals like how would that translate to doing it at the table i I mean the 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 key the key gap here is the level of effort necessary to act on the procedural generation right so it's fine to roll dice to determine what happens and just say like you know like i have a i have a list of 100 things here you can shift the probabilities of these things like up or down incrementally based on the things that you do so that you know as you you know higher roles will be better outcomes lower roles will be worse outcomes right like do the kind of like i don't know star wars ffg crit table thing um you you can do all that stuff on the fly the problem is whatever the entry is in that generation you have to be able to act on at the table um and the hard part of that is always going to be combat, right? Because unless your monsters can be generated with a description and you're more or less ready to go off of that, uh, like if you have any type of um, stat block or anything that you need to prepare for, like you get into a bit of a challenge of like how reactive can you be when you don't have computer processing power? Um you know, I, I do think like a game like Band of Blades could be done that way. Um, or sorry, uh, uh, I probably Band of Blades. No, not Band of Blades, but a game like uh, Blades in the Dark could be done that way. Right. Um, you could procedurally generate a lot of Band of Blades content. Um, the way that fights are structured and the way that heists are structured and the way that challenges are structured gives you a lot of flexibility to improvise them off the top. Uh, so you really could do that off of just a list of things and complications. Um, what you'll run into, though, is I think rolling too many dice is going to produce enough nonsensical results that you end up having to unimprovise things in order to preserve any sense of a narrative um, because you just don't have a way of either you end up with very narrow tables that you're rolling against for the procedure or you end up so wide that like you know your your puny human brain cannot quickly enough draw the connection to make it work right <laughs> um bold of you to uh, assume that astro is a human okay i i think we should give them the benefit of the doubt and maybe they're some sort of ascended being and can handle right. all of this astro is uh is a sentient twitter algorithm wouldn't be the first one <laughs> so we're all screwed <laughs> This feels a lot like 
asking how do I run a game, run a GM list game, right? Like, mm-hmm. how can like four people sit down on the table and run through a dungeon crawl without a GM making any adjudications? We're just rolling dice to figure it out. Um, and I guess if you are a person sitting in the GM seat to do this, are you rolling? in front of everyone else and everyone is watching the procedural generation happen or are you doing it behind a screen so that you can potentially fudge these results and i would say it's going to be easier to do the latter to like not do it in front of everybody because like you said shane sometimes you're going to get incongruous results Mm -hmm. and it's easier to do what seems like it might be more work but which is to interpret in the moment and then go like eh, maybe i don't like that one and i re-roll it right or maybe like i adjust one um entry up on the chart or down on the chart to like make something that fits better or to make something that's going that's just going to flow more easily or is more fair or, or whatever right because remember that since there have been rpgs we've had general systems that sort of fit this bill which is random encounters mm-hmm. you know and and there are like tables for random dungeon generation just like you know what does the next room like look like like roll on the table and like here's what's in it um and the problem with those is that they're usually extraordinarily poorly built like it's it's like roll roll a d20 to find out what monster you come across and it's like you know four deer in a, like 1d4 deer uh, in a glade uh 2d6 tarasks you know and you, you just have you have no no idea what what's going to happen because someone was super lazy building this chart you could make a really good chart but to me that seems like so much more work on the front end that i i would rather show up to a session with like two stat blocks in hand and be like they're either going to fight this monster or they're going to fight this monster. And it depends on which tunnel they go down. Yeah. Rather than doing all the other work on the fly of like, there are 17 monsters they could fight and I need to be prepped for all of that. Right. And that's, I think that's it. It's like the, it's the quality of those charts is ultimately like going to inform the quality of how this executes and to get those charts to be narrow enough that you guarantee that you have a cohesive narrative might as well just make decisions (laughs) like i don't know like at that point like it just seems like it's easier to just like you said right it's going to be a or b right or you know potentially a c that i'll figure out in the moment if the players go completely off the rails but that'll be their choice not mine um so yeah i don't know i mean i like i'd I'd definitely be interested to see how it goes i'd I'd Mm -hmm. be surprised if you can maintain it for more than like four sessions (laughs) Um, once re-rolling on your charts starts to get uh, apparent, I think you're going to start running into some challenges. But uh, I'd yeah, be interested to see how it goes. Yeah, it's doable. Um, I think that we're both questioning whether it's going to be worth it right. in the end or you're just going to go back to like regular GMing. Right. All right, next question from Chris Pines. If you had to apply a D&D class from any edition to the members of your home group, who would be what and why? <laughs> interesting well i think we can agree that cam is the artificer oh oh yeah 100 percent. yes the the mad scientist absolutely mm-hmm. yep easily um 
Steph is the, I mean, what's a, the, the paladin of freedom, right? The chaotic paladin. <laughs> like, okay. Heart of gold, but just as likely to like, I don't know, push you down the stairs because it's funny, <laughs> not because she's trying to hurt you. Okay. All right. I can see that. Mm. Any addition? It's t- uh, this is this is tough because they're. I mean, you're a thief. I'm a bard. Thank you. I mean, you're a consultant, right? Uh, yes. Thief. <laughs> There's thief. a particular, particular set of skills, <laughs> but you're singing for your supper, are you not? <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you, I am. <laughs> I mean, you're either a wizard or sorcerer, depending on who's more OP in a given edition. Oh, no, reasonable, which means it's almost definitely going to be wizard. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Susie's a warlock, right? There's Has she sold her soul for higher power? I mean, hospital administration, I guess. Yeah. Um, or she's like a hospitaler. Um, well, because she's a doctor. Because she's a doctor. See, I think that's that's uh, conflating too much about profession and class, though. Well, so, so she's not she's not a surgeon, right? You know, she's a cleric. She's actually she's a cleric. She's by far the most devoutly religious person in our group. Um, in that she's the only remotely religious person in our group. <laughs> is she, is she the cleric because we keep showing up being like, please heal us? <laughs> in fact, it's your job to heal us. <laughs> Can uh, I take I mean, actions? No, it, no, you're not. Nope. Mm-mm, just heal us. She's definitely a cleric of a uh, of a of a deity that does not require healing, because she does not heal her friends. <laughs> <laughs> she only heals strangers that she calls "quote unquote" patients. <laughs> um. Wait. How about? Okay. I, here. Here's what I think the actual answer to to this is: is that um, we're all some form of rogue because in modern society. Nobody's a barbarian. Like a vanishingly small percentage of us are actually fighters, you know, and zero people are are wizards. Um, we're all rogues um, because I mean, we're at best commoners and experts, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, I mean, expert, expert is probably right. But if you had to pick like a PC character class, I would go rogue, um, mainly because all of us pick two to four things that we excel at and we are mostly terrible at everything else okay so you're going rogue for the expertise uh, expertise okay right and also un uncanny dodge um <laughs> i mean maybe cam's a fighter because he's like the only one who actually has combat experience or the like combat training among all of us i mean that's a lot of feats Oh, for him to abuse? Yeah, I, I, he's he's an <laughs> artificer. I mean, like a like a like a you know battle. Oh sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Made battle. Uh, he's an artillerist because he just des- he desperately wants Eldritch cannons. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Plus the AC fetish. Right. Yeah. Um, Angelo is an attorney, definitely a rogue, uh, but like a lawful rogue. Um. But you don't think lawyers would be a bard as well? The two of you are like two sides of a, of the same coin. That might be you, true. 
Yeah, you both could have gone on the same path, but no, wildly diverged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, that leaves Jim. I mean, I think Jim is our is our monk. I was almost about to. I was almost about to go there. Interesting. Okay. Okay. He he finds like he's 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 wise in his domain, and he finds such peace in his like mastery of of games. Right. Look, like, he's, that is, he's a, he's that very is inner peace. Yeah. yeah exactly. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So, in no terms of fighting style, would be would he be a monk? But in terms of like ethos, <laughs> right? I like, mean, I've never seen Jim fight. Like. He's a big dude. I think punching would be really effective for him. Uh, I don't think Jim would agree with you on that. <laughs> mm, I feel like there's a story here. I no, I've uh, no, 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 no. There's no no direct story. I just I don't I don't get the vibe that that Jim would really position himself that way. But then again, I guess monks aren't great fighters in basically any edition. So oh, so it fits. Wait, it but uh, but but how good are monks at musical instruments? I mean. They probably can play the bongos. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. Yoga Matters uh, from Discord. Theme for mailbag. Different group themes for parties the fellas have wanted slash seen played, i.e. the Ninja Turtles playing a party of all bards, a band, uh, maybe just a party built around an idea like push-pull AOE party, all casters, no casters, etc. I love theme parties. It's it's like one of my favorite th- games to think about that I won't actually play in because people don't usually want to commit to these long term. But like they're amazing for for one offs for conventions. Um, I've spoken before about like my favorite idea for a theme party was Knoll Patrol, which was all Knolls <laughs> uh, who have like I think they like the premise from my old uh, GM Bo was like I think they like ate an adventuring party but then discover that they were on some sort of sacred quest and like accidentally now inherit some sort of MacGuffin item and it gives them pc abilities and now they have to figure out what to do with their pc abilities and they are they like the quest has glommed onto them and they have to like go figure it out while still really wanting to eat everybody (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) um i mean yeah i ran a i ran a reality tv competition type mm, uh mm-hmm. D game in which uh all the players were were archetypes of uh of reality tv personalities um Star which is pretty dumb <laughs> <laughs> i mean it worked it worked great for for a one shot you know yeah yeah it was a fantasy love island right it was right. like a like a, a game show dating show survivor type concept uh broadcast across the multiverse <laughs> live via scry <laughs> and it was like can i can i charm person the other contestant to get them to help me in this challenge well yes yes that's the whole point you right. know <laughs> exactly but the audience is watching <laughs> to to build on my previous point um i think home group would be a great party of all rogues you know mm. um so cam knows how not to get stabbed because he has actually been trained um angelo i think Angela would get stabbed and then apologize for getting stabbed to the person True. stabbing him, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, Susie would be stabbed and then leave immediately because she knows not to get stabbed anymore and then physician heal thyself. Correct. I would get stabbed and die because I have D4 hit points. 
<laughs> and I am also venerable age category. So like, true, true. Like, yeah, you're losing high, con left and right. Exactly. High wisdom, though. You know. So like, you know, if I if I was paying attention, I wouldn't even be in the vicinity of the knife. Right, right. You You've know? got that will yeah. save worked out. That's that's right. Um, and, but but honestly, frankly, like Jim would be the one who like would not be there at all. He'd be like, no, oh no, I just had a I just had a feeling I didn't want to go to the mall today. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I will say, like, long-term gaming groups gravitate toward doing this anyway, no matter how they started, right? So, like, as you take your new abilities, as you multi-class or, or get new gear or whatever, you end up leaning in toward a theme, right? Like, hey, we're, turns out we're an all-melee party, so great, let's, let's make sure we have, like, boarding equipment and then what's it what's our tactic of course it's charge as quickly as possible and you know stab everybody right or like we're the kiting party and we all have long bows and, and like we fly in on giant eagles and like pepper everything from the sky or like our group and everyone just is des disparate and doing their own thing and sort of angry that no one else is co is coordinating in the in an awesome combo <laughs> right desperately negotiating to set me up bro <laughs> <laughs> Are you just going to ask that every time? Uh-huh. <laughs> so you do. I think one of my old groups, we realized it was mostly barbarians and and things like that. And so we were the face rippers. And that was our, our MO was, oh, you win. What do you do? Well, we we rip their faces off. That's, that's what we do. We're the face rippers. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Our, our party are the hostile negotiators, mm, right? Mm -hmm, in that mm -hmm. we always try to talk our way out of fights and then fight. Mm -hmm. uh, and every time we get even the slightest bit of leverage, we try to turn it into something <laughs> so much more. Like, you never want to owe our party a favor. <laughs> like, we would extort God. <laughs> I mean, look, it's, the, the thing is, even when we win a, a negotiation, then we still want to fight. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, no, we're giving you what we what you want. Yeah, 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 I know. But now also we want to fight. But not everything we want. <laughs> <laughs> you're only giving us everything we asked for. There's a pretty difference. Sure, pretty sure you're made of XP. Right. <laughs> uh, hey, ever, we're, we're doing milestone leveling here. Yeah, yeah, no, he's made of XP. Two new questions from Shinigami. Uh, you two have made a lot of musical references these last few weeks. What do the hosts like in terms of music? This could be a whole episode. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, Shane, you like Tribe Called Quest. <laughs> sure, that's what I, I know. Like, I like Tribe Called Quest. That's yes. <laughs> uh, my my top my top artist on Spotify since 2012 is Lana Del Rey. Uh, every single year, uh, I I mean I I I really do listen to like a lot. Like I, I listen to classic rock. Uh, I listen to a lot of like 90s alternative, hip hop, country alt country uh i listen to like I, a lot of regional hip-hop as well um i i mean yeah i just kind of all over the place i listen to actually a lot of classical and jazz um because i can kind of zone out um but yeah i mean my 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 spotify is taking a big hit since covid because i don't i don't spend as much time in an office where i need headphones in to like not be bothered but um yeah, it's like my 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 Spotify like algorithm is a freaking mess, and then it's only getting worse because <laughs> I've added kid friendly music too, right? Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know the nighttime soundtrack and stuff, and now it like doesn't know what to do. 
Like it's like Frederick Chopin again. What are we doing here? Kid stuff is is interesting because like I'm a a nineties kid, you know, and so like I fully expect I fully expected before children that there would be the scenario where I became like the awkward, annoying dad who was like singing a song from the nineties, but changing the lyrics to be baby related, right? Like that mm-hmm. guy. You know, mm-hmm. like, we we all know that guy and we none of us like him, nor should we. Mm-hmm. Um, but it like it has gone the other way too, where we're like, you know, I'm singing a, a like a baby song or like reading a book or whatever, and then like unbidden comes like, you know, all all alternative rock. Like, um, you know, it'll be like, oh, brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? You know, I see the hell does he see? Oh, I see a red dog looking at me, right? And then like the next thing like that pops into my head is like red dog, red dog, what do you see? I see a yellow dog looking at me. <laughs> okay. Is that your and, like, queen impression? I... <laughs> what no, that's green jelly. Oh. So, like... oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is a deep cut. Oh, brings me back to the Maxwell Carnage soundtrack. Okay. <laughs> So, like, do I yell that at my, like, 10-month-old? No. I keep it to myself. (laughs) (laughs) She listens to, like, The Greatest Showman soundtrack, which apparently NPR did a story about, like, and babies love it and uh, I don't know, whatever. Um, In in terms of, like, my actual music, um, I feel like the music for me is a lot like my experience with, um, with campaign settings, actually, in that you know, I lived through certain times when they when individual ones were popular and then they became close to my heart, no matter how good or bad they were. So like objectively, it's really difficult to run a Planescape campaign, but like I love it so much. And I've talked before at length about how like I love the ska. Is it a <laughs> good genre of music? I will readily admit no. <laughs> Is can you can you love a genre without loving anybody or anything in it? <laughs> I pose the question. Look, you know, but, but you know, it's still it's still it's still in my bones. Like I'll be sitting at like I'll be sitting in the lobby of the Ace Ho- the Ace Hotel, and like the specials come on over the loudspeaker before I go to work, and I'm just like, that's great, that's awesome. I wish it was Rat Race and not Ghost Town, but you know what? I'm into this. I like it. I'm I'm happy that that this is happening. This is yeah okay, <laughs> sure. Um, and for example, I spent several years pretty much listening exclusively to roots reggae, um, <laughs> because that that was what intersected my life at that moment. And I listen to almost none of it now, but like, you know, Ecomulse is like still in there, right? So, mm-hmm. and then you know they they pop up at random and. And I props to the Spotify algorithm for like unearthing that stuff where it's like, oh, I see. I will cross I will cross reference these two songs you like. And I'm pretty sure you will like this other one because it was, you know, popular in 1994. And that's when you were listening to a lot of music. Right. Uh, what uh, what musical act have you seen the most times live? This is not my favorite band, but it, it, it I've seen Bela Fleck and the Flecktones the most. That's... <laughs> wow yeah Uh wow yeah that's awesome i'm so glad i asked that question (laughs) i've probably seen them like six times yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
he's, he's really he's really good on the banjo, and Vic Wooten is the best slap bassist of all time. So, I mean, Vic you know, Wooten is a legendary bassist. There's no doubt about that. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I'm not upset about it. I, I just wouldn't be like, hi, Ishan. Uh, I listen to big Bela big Belafonte fan. <laughs> but but these days i will say um uh i channel my like grad school years uh it's a really interesting intersection between my clubbing days and baby stuff is that like my baby really likes like douchey euro dance music and like so do i so you know i I put on a lot of Mika, a lot, a lot, a lot of Mika. And she's very happy with that. And I'm very happy with that. And everyone's happy. And we have a little dance party. Okay. So that's, that's where we are. What band have you seen the most live? Uh, so I think number wait, wait, one. Oh, now this is, this is like with the caveat that like you had a job in the music industry. And so like, I think you, you ended up at some shows, right? That you wouldn't necessarily pick for yourself. Sure, but I, I mean, it doesn't even come close. Like, uh, the, the answer is Cross Canadian Ragweed, which is a, um, a Texas Red Dirt all country band. Uh, okay. And the second place is Jimmy Buffett, which say what you will about Jimmy Buffett, but like, you make an all day affair out of his, uh, out of going to a, to a Buffett concert and like, you're having a good time. You might end up wearing a, 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 a hula skirt and, uh, and, and a lay, but you will enjoy yourself. I mean, you might end up wearing a hula skirt in LA and then you'll have a good time. I, you know, I'm, I've look, look, my job on this podcast is to make fun of you, but I'm not going to say anything bad about Jimmy Buffett. I mean, you know, it is what it is. I, you know, I don't have to think he's the best music in the world. It's just a fun place <laughs> to go, man. <laughs> and if I'm on a boat, I want to hear Buffett. <laughs> All right. Next question from Shinny. Do you have general recommendations for band of blades or pitfalls to avoid? using the system uh yes uh it is very helpful to have a um (laughs) when you create new uh new recruits to have an eye towards what specialty you're interested in putting them in and to align your dots accordingly uh also it's good to have an idea of the special abilities across the different specialists and how they interact um first because it's good like there's a lot of very valuable veteran advances that you can take um that really buff characters but then there's a lot of interaction Mm -hmm. between those abilities that can be um really strong yeah the system is really built for you to have strong characters and i think one of the conceits of the system is that fiction will easily mold itself to the mechanics so like it's a it's not mechanics light but you you have all the information that you need on the sheet Right. You're not supposed to have to like go look things up. But what that means is sometimes there's very little information for you to go on to tell you like what this ability does. But that's by design. There's not supposed to be a ton of like keywords explaining to you exactly how this ability works. This ability just works and the the fiction will do what it needs to do in order for the ability to work and to be cool because the game wants you to do a cool thing. That's yes. why that's why they made the this like succinctly worded ability that actually is pretty vague it's so that you can interpret it in as many ways as you want to like have your table think a cool thing is happening yeah i mean if if ever there's a game where you need to embrace being a fan of your players it's band of blades because 
the system will kill characters uh, mm-hmm. and and punish players just fine. You don't need to go out of your way to try. Um, you know, let them be heroes in the fleeting moments where they get the opportunity to, because um, a lot of stories will just end with, and they didn't return from a mission. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A lot of, you know, interesting characters will be cut short um, as a result. And that's, that's the way the game is designed. All right. Next up is from BlazeMew55. My players and I have played a lot of 5e on Roll20. I'm looking to switch up the system, but probably still keep it in a fantasy genre and play virtually. You guys seem to like Blades of the Dark and Dark Heresy 2nd Edition. Are there any other systems you'd recommend? Um, I, I mean, if you like 5e, if you like that type of like uh, D&D type fantasy, um, you could try 13th Age, which is a, a great kind of simplified version of that. Um, you know, if you want something that's a little more... Um, I suppose improvisational, um, less dark fantasy. Like you can look at like um, Dungeon World, which is the um, uh, powered by the apocalypse um, fantasy game. Mm-hmm. And I would, uh, we like 40k as a setting. We like Dark Heresy. I wouldn't say that I like Dark Heresy Second Edition as a as a game. Um, I have a lot of frustrations with it, and like it, it certainly benefited from a lot of like house rules. Yeah, you could just say it benefited from a good GM. That's fine. So let's just, just brush your shoulders off. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I said, I said what I meant. Yeah, no, I know what you meant. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, follow up episode 112 was a long time ago. Do you have a favorite superhero RPG yet? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we still have masks on deck to play. Yeah, I, th- I think masks is still the closest. Uh, I haven't looked at Sentinel. Mm. Um, I am interested in the Sentinels of the multiverse. Um, game uh i don't know anything about sentinels of the multiverse but i don't know anything about comics in general so that shouldn't hurt me at all but uh i i do want to check that one out but uh no uh as of yet maths is as close as i get i will say if like if you want to play a superhero rpg and like the reason that you want to do that is like everyone at the table is a comic book fan and like really wants to immerse themselves and you want something crunchy you can go to like one of the really old systems you know phase rip and no heroes unlimited hold on hold just just bear bear with me heroes unlimited knowing that like they're going to be really complicated and and clunky but they're they're open they're like open box enough that you can do whatever you want with them and things are going to be crazy and unbalanced anyway but like so are a lot of superhero games and it'll be less I think it'll be less frustrating than like Mutants and Masterminds, honestly, because Mutants and Masterminds pretends to be balanced and what you want, but it is not. I maybe Heroes Unlimited. Uh, I cannot, in good conscience, recommend anybody look at Marvel Phase Rip. <laughs> like that, that game is. Oh boy. Moving on. Uh, great. A question from home group member Cam. You just couldn't wait to get to this one. I have a mailbag question. What are your personas? Uh, Shane, you first. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> All right, I will answer for both of us. Cameron, from our home group, I'm disappointed in you for asking this question. We have played now together for the better part of a decade since you were seven. Okay, <laughs> the vast majority of your life has been spent playing RPGs with us. You should know. Uh, Shane played a dragon sorcerer. 
uh, who worshipped a dead dragon and then turned into a dragon. And Ishin is the voice of Meepo. We are not furries. We are scalies. Okay. All right. I'll allow that. Yeah. So get the terminology correct. Thank you. Moving on. All right. This one is from Barry. I've always appreciated your book reviews, especially since it seems you don't pull any punches and have a very high standard for what you want to see in a Wizards of the Coast book. It seems even with books that you recommend as buys, there are always quite a few elements you suggest should have been changed to improve the book. What I'd like to know is, are there any books out there you think got everything right? You often refer to or allude to older books, especially 3.5 books, that you think got the job done better than modern books. What would you consider either must-haves or at least books that nailed it among older D&D supplements? Mm-hmm-hmm. I mean, the the first and obvious one that comes to mind is the uh, is the series on adventure locations, right? Uh, Stormrack, Sand, Sandstorm, and Frostburn. That one, yeah, like that mm-hmm. series um, really did did a lot of things right. I mean, those books aren't perfect by any stretch. Um, no, Darfellin are dumb. Th- th- those are orca folk, and uh, <laughs> you're dumb. <laughs> um, but no, they're also dumb. <laughs> they're they're so dope, dude. <laughs> you just don't get it. <laughs> um, Not every animal needs a folk. <laughs> they look pretty cool, though. You can't can't deny that. I like, mean the the two tone thing. I I don't I don't hate it. Plus, how, they, yeah, they, as a Scott kid, us... you can't tell me you hate two tone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know they they gave us winged monkeys, like flying monkeys, basically. Right. Yeah, the uh, Hadosi. Um, the I I I don't know if this is rose colored glasses because I was young enough to not know any better. But I seem to really enjoy the complete adventures books mm. from second edition. Right. The uh like that that series of like the the com- complete thief's companion, complete uh ranger companion, like that whole series of books I enjoyed. Um. But I have no idea if those actually hold up. <laughs> I don't think it's entirely rose-colored glasses. Now, look, uh, objectively, given how much the the RPG community has grown in like the 30 years since those came out and like how much we've learned and how many other game systems have come out, like they're they're nowhere near perfect. But I think if you look the look at them as you know, artifacts of their time, they greatly expanded the options that you had for playing character classes that let's be honest ended up just like carrying a wizard's books Mm -hmm. by like level seven right i also like the series from third edition on uh monster origins um there's one on undead one on aberrations aberrations is lord of madness um forget the name of the oh libris mortis is the undead one um i thought there was another another one they did a really cool job of like fleshing out um, backstories for like beholders and and mind flayers and liches and things like that. So they, there's a lot of cool information. Obviously, the, the Draconomicon that is nowhere near perfect, but there's a lot of cool illustrations. They take a, like a an anatomical approach to like how how do dragons work and how should they work. Um, I like skills and powers from second edition, but that was just because that introduced the concept of min-maxing and like what right. a dumb idea, but but I still love it. Um and then my my favorite book, and I think it is both a good book and one that is it is necessary, is uh Tome of Battle. Book of Nine Swords. From oh. yeah, from three point five. Third edition. Yeah. 
it took the one that made wizards fighter or fighters wizards that well one. here's here's the thing so they had eight schools right but only one of those schools did anything remotely magical happen like it you could like make fire or whatever but every single other one of those was essentially the precursor to the 4e warlord and the 5e battlemaster fighter they could just do stuff they could do anything other than nothing and it it, it took the classes that in third edition everybody knew were garbage paladin fighter monk and slash rogue sort of in there and turn them into something that still couldn't even compete you know what i mean like if you wanted if you wanted to win the game then you were you were just a druid <laughs> you know but if you wanted to like play an interesting combatant who used like strength of arm and like tactical wit then this helped you do it and it even it had a lot of detractors as like weeb magic or whatever but you see its DNA in all the parts of the game of D&D afterward that people say that they love. Um, and then honorable mention goes to Sharn City of Secrets from 3rd Edition, uh, Eberron book that uh, really does a great job of painting a very like localized setting. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess there's mm-hmm. a theme for me, which is that <laughs> things that are centered on settings are more interesting books to me than uh, collections of uh, of other random stuff <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's a good point like the planescape books are sometimes planescape is an unplayable mess but like the books themselves are amazing and then monty cook's tolis for third edition is like a um a third party supplement that does a great job of encapsulating like a setting but also like very specifically a huge metropolis all right next question from max what were your first pcs what rule set were you playing and what was the setting <sighs> forest dome Eni Kamozi, a cleric, because my friends told me I had to play a cleric. Ah, okay. Well, a, pre- a priest, right? He was a priest. It was second edition, and we used skills and powers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I named uh, him after the guy who sings Here, Come the Hot, Here Comes the Hot Steppa, because we had it on repeat. <sighs> great. Great. Just great. Yeah. Uh, I do not know the answer to this question. I made lots of PCs in second edition. I think the first one I got to the table was probably a third edition Ranger. Um, but I don't remember anything about them. Um, I I don't hold characters precious. Uh, like, so I, yeah, they're, they're in and out. From Altral on Twitter, what emotional response is the most difficult to elicit in role in a role-playing game? What are some strong examples of those reactions that you've had in your games? Fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Horror in general is really yeah. difficult. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Without crossing boundaries, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like um, horror is really hard to elicit because you have this like multiple, multiple levels of like disintermediation, right? Like there's you trying to convey what a character sees and feels to a person who's imagining they're that character. Uh, it's just, there's a lot that has to go right in order to make that work. Yeah, and that's why you get solutions like Dread, where the resolution mechanic is Jenga. You literally play Jenga. Right. Because like, it's a it's supposed to evoke that fear response when you're like, like at least the anxiety response. The tension, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I think mixed results. So I, I do think I did a pretty decent job of this uh, when we did the Versa House uh, arc in uh, Rogue Trader, right? I think like I got the right level of creepy, the right level of like 
you guys know what's going on but you don't quite know what's going on like the right the right combination of like misfortune and and general like haunting um and then of course it ends in tragedy uh i i I feel like i got that i I feel like there were moments at the table where like if maybe it wasn't fear but there was at least horror right yeah yeah it i think sometimes people replace fear or horror with squick you know that's sort of like an easy way to do it is like gross people out right um but it's not the same thing and you can also easily cross boundaries but i think it is one of the reasons like body horror is like pretty common in mm. in rpgs it's just it's just easier to use i uh, i think for me the the maybe my advice about trying to to evoke fear is not to threaten the characters bodily because like like you said there's that level there's there's the shield of the character you know plus also in most games there's the shield of like i have a ton of hp I don't care if you're if you're pretending if you're saying that like my limbs are getting hacked at like until I get down to five HP I'm not really worried, um, but it's to threaten something that they care about in game, whether that's an NPC or even like their equipment or something. You know, rust rust monsters I think are like the closest that you actually get to making seasoned players afraid because now. Not Do- my reaction to seeing a rust monster. <laughs> no, what is your way. reaction? Uh, a, a firm eye roll and a get me out of here. Oh, yeah, but there's no way out. Sorry. Uh, there is. <laughs> uh, I pack up my stuff and I walk away. <laughs> so it is doubly successful. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But, like, that's why those creatures exist, you know? Um, it's it's to, like, find a way to, like, push people's buttons in in a way that, like, might actually have a lasting impact. Right. All right. Questions from Keon. What would you suggest are good indicators to look out for if you are looking for a new gaming group, especially as a female player? Well, well as that... two female players <laughs> ourselves, we are clearly, as two men, we're clearly <laughs> experts on what women should look out for. All right. Sizhet dude, story hour. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we we outsourced this one to uh, to uh, one of the women uh, in our group that we trust to to answer these types of questions. Uh, Susie said, "Serious answer. Listen to yourself and trust yourself. If you feel uncomfortable, a good group for anyone should hear you out about your limits and listen non judgmentally if you feel the need to discuss something." Cameron did weigh in here with a follow up. He said, "I think some tips uh, also work for women that I used to look out for racist groups." Stuff like having a conversation with the GM and making sure they will shut stuff down and not just say it's a joke, uh, among other common responses. A a group that has as a principle intersectional feminism. And each of these are avenues into one another, right? Like if you can find a group that is like not homophobic, then the chances are much higher that they're not going to be sexist and they're not going to be racist. I mean, they could be. They don't don't get me wrong. They definitely could be, but you know you're going to have better chances. And then all of those, right? If you find a group that is not not racist, then it's more likely they're not going to be homophobic or sexist. Um, and and here, yeah, like be as upfront as possible, like about the things that you're looking for. Um, and you can you can sort of see some guide posts, like 
you know, we are a like multicultural, multiracial, like queer inclusive group. But like I wrote all that in the the like looking for player posting each time I look for a new person. Right. So like they automatically know, like stay away if they're not these things, but also that like we at least we are at least flying that flag. Uh, so I would say that that is that is a green flag. It certainly doesn't mean <laughs> that that group is. Um, but like if they're vocal about it, that that is, you know, something to look out for. Uh, and if all else fails, look for uh, look for all female groups. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Like just just look for groups of women that. Uh, you know, cut out the bad actors in, in that way. Uh, another thing you could do is start your own gaming group. Be the one uh, who has to do the heavy lifting of like vetting people, but it does mean you can make sure that they, you know, fit your criteria. All right. Takes a while, but go for it. All right. So, next question What's your take on the new German Chancellor? I didn't look them up. I uh I hope that they remain as committed to the EU as Angelo Merkel was. I don't know anything else about them. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they take as many or more refugees as Merkel's government did. I guess it's not her government, it's like a coalition, right? But you yeah, know what I mean. You know yeah, what I mean. The coalition government that she led. <laughs> there you go. So I think those are my feelings. Uh, and then what's your take on using different actual languages as in-game languages like Latin, English? for celestial etc um i think dead languages for the most part are like probably safe if you like speak dead languages cool and all Uh, living languages can certainly get problematic if you if there's any connection between like the stereotype of the people who speak the language and the stereotype of the people who speak the language in your game you know like in a country like germany where uh where most people are fluent in both say german and english right like you could easily designate one as like your high gothic and one as your low gothic right like something like that is doable where you have like a group that are generally bilingual like that's just tough for us because we aren't generally bilingual in our group or and and those of us who are bilingual uh don't speak the same languages as each other so right. we only have really <laughs> english between us uh so we just steal latin sounding words mm. Um, yeah, but like to use that example, what you want to avoid is something like in the United States using English as high Gothic and Spanish as low Gothic, you know, where like uh, the commoners now are like literally speaking Spanish at your table and like highborn nobles are speaking English too closely mirrors a lot of the power dynamics that have plagued specifically American society. Um, so those are the kinds of things that you're going to want to watch out for. All right. Next question from Pasta Pro. What are your opinions on the Mythic Europe setting, specifically the setting used by the Ars Magica game? Um, I like it uh, on on the face of it. So My- Mythic Europe is like uh, historical in that it's supposed to be set in like the real world in Europe. Um, but like magic existed, you know, like hedge wizardry and alchemy, like those all worked. You know, and like the the some of the fables or or fairy tales that you've heard may be true, but mythic Europe is less about like fairy tales, but it's more like the the folklore um, could be true. 
I and I and I like it because you know it's really easy for people to dip right in, right? Like if you know anything about the Middle Ages or you've watched enough like television to know what it was like in the Middle Ages, you can hop right into the setting and like you know get get used to it very quickly. Like there's a, there's not a huge onboarding, and then you know as much as you want to engage with like the the magic system, which is which is like alchemy, and it reminds me probably the most of like um, the old like Ultima video games. Mm-hmm. Um, then you know it's it, it's extraordinarily complex and like very creation focused, so you can you know engage with it as much or as little as you want. Uh, I have no opinion. Uh, I know nothing about it. What but if I yes, told you sounds mythic, cool? What if I told you Mythic Europe is also technically what White, White Wolf is set in? Uh, uh, nothing White Wolf faces me anymore, so I just <laughs> I would move on to the next question, which is, what would you advise someone on writing timelines for a D and D setting that they were creating? Uh, keep it brief mm-hmm. and blow it up, because mm-hmm. nobody cares about the past. Uh, make some reason that like you have enough basis for the setting to function and then give some reason that the player characters do not need to worry about all that stuff in the past because uh, they'll never read all the all the lore. Yeah, and it won't matter. And then you'll find out that you actually want to like contradict it or whatever. You know, like if you need to know the exact events that happened in May 723 years ago, then like you can figure that out later. And- Learn about them through an adventure. That's the way that you learn about the past. Right. <laughs> like the, the, the timeline should be fungible until you need it for an adventure. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. it. I mean, it should be Schrodinger's timeline. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're writing for a published timeline, you've got to fix a couple points in, in a little more detail. But even then, like, I mean, we should be talking about a page, right? Like, I don't want to read more than that about lore that is so far from relevance for my players. Uh, and as a, as a player, I absolutely do not care. Yeah, I mean, if you're writing for a published setting, then absolutely keep it short because it'll just look like you're padding page count, you know, to have a, a 12-page timeline, which and just no happens major too often. publishers do that. You should like zero major <laughs> publishers pad page count with stuff that the audience doesn't need or want. <laughs> what I'm interested in is a D150 table of first names. <laughs> okay, and then. Finally, how would you write a realistic order of wizards? Oh, I have the correct answer to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch Succession, watch Billions. <laughs> just write wizards, an order of wizards, as a group of super rich and greedy, powerful people. That's it. That's how they behave. They fight each other for amusement. They wield power that nobody else can understand. Uh, their like methods of wielding power are esoteric and bizarre and... Uh, everybody has some trick or some spell they think will get them out of it. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but that's, you know, financial engineering is modern day magic. So watch (laughs) the shows that are about that. Right. Nobody understands how it's, how it works. They can't, uh, relate to ordinary people anymore. Yeah. it, It works really well. The other thing I think you could do is make them extinct. Like they killed each other. You know, they, maybe they blew up the entire world and like, Hey, you could put that in your timeline. Don't explain it anymore. Like, let the players figure it out later. Right. Um, yeah, they're, they're there to be discovered. Right. Uh, yeah, the good ones are well-intentioned and little else good. <laughs> <laughs> There's no good and evil. They're all evil. Some of them are well-intentioned and evil. All right, this one is from Zach from Australia. 
The game that got me into this hobby is RuneQuest, a D100 game from the late 70s. I like how chunky the system is and how close the gods and magic are to everyday people's lives in this setting. Have you ever come across it? I'd love to hear any impressions you have about the game, its setting, or D100 games in general. So I have never played RuneQuest. Mm-hmm. But um, probably this everyone... Is, this is the Greg Stafford game, right? Yes. Okay. Probably everyone... Yeah, it's in Glorantha, I think is, is what That's the name it. of the... Yep. Yeah. yep, yep, yep. So the anyone listening to this show probably has crossed paths with it or its descendants uh, because it's basically the first fantasy heartbreaker. (laughs) (laughs) It is a game where you have to really, really care about hit location and armor location and yeah, (laughs) several dice rolls in order to resolve. You see that trickle down into like even modern day dark heresy. Right. Oh, I mean, Warhammer Four uh, or Warhammer Fantasy Fourth Edition still has that all that stuff, right? Underpinning. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, if that is what you want, then that's excellent. Like, RuneQuest was supposed to be like a the first one of the first games to be like this is grittier than Dungeons and Dragons. You know, this is more <laughs> right. realistic, uh, where like you can have high level characters who still get absolutely murdered by like good tactics from a a small squad of low level characters. So I've never come across it directly. Like I've I've heard about it. Like I know what it is from its kind of like position in the pantheon. Um, I, I guess my my general impression of it is that the people who like it really love it, um, and the the people who don't tend to struggle with the mechanics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think like you know I, I think the setting is sort of the the big appeal to a lot of people. So I think that makes sense. And I think like you know the interest in the in the gods and magic and and sort of how that impacts everyday people i think that's like yeah that's a cool that's a cool pitch for the game right um so yeah i mean request is one of those things that i would pick up and kind of thumb through but uh i think i probably missed the onboarding for it Mm. as for d100 games uh my head tells me that they're too granular but my heart tells me easy math (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, follow-up question have you ever been to australia shane have you ever been to australia i have uh multiple times my mom actually lived in australia for uh for a while so oh, cool uh, wait where in australia uh she lived in sydney okay all right that's the capital that uh, is not, the capital I'm, I'm not telling you zach i'm telling all of our uh non-australian uh listeners um i have been to australia one time uh and then i was trapped in the sydney airport for a week oh well that sucks. How did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> we were flying standby because we were extraordinarily broke. And it was this situation where, so in the United States, the biggest travel day of the year is Thanksgiving because everyone goes home. In Australia, it turns out it's Easter. Oh. We did not know that. So we tried to leave the, a week before Easter and literally everything was booked up, it turned out, for the next eight days. Mm. Uh, now, we were very poor. And so we had just barely enough money to like, so we went to a wedding, my like wife's best friend's wedding. So we had like just enough money to like get there on a standby pass, go to the wedding, you know, like eat the free food at the wedding and then like get out of there on a standby pass. So we couldn't afford to make the $60 round trip to like take the train back into Sydney, then get a hotel, then take the train back out to the airport the next morning and then check to see if there uh, we could get on a flight so we just slept in the airport 
Now, if you're going to sleep in an airport, the Sydney airport is not the worst place to do that. They have really great Wi-Fi. And so I just torrented uh, every episode of Archer and we burned our way through the series. Great. And then listened to a lot of NPR. So that's what we spent a week doing. All right. (laughs) Uh, Next up is uh, Raduku. What is the best way to handle world building from the player's side? Like, what is a good way to handle when your players are interested in buying land and building a guild or church to their new god or a new thieves guild? In ye old Pathfinder First Edition, there was there was kingdom building downtime systems, but they always seemed to ignore they always seemed to be ignored. Or players did a one eighty when it came time to actually use the subsystem. Is it better to go one hundred percent role play or try to modify an existing system for this particular table? P.S. Longtime listener since like episode three or four. Keep up the great work. Uh, well, thank you for listening. Uh, mm-hmm. Step one. Um, I'm inclined to say you gotta you gotta play it by your particular table's rules, mm-hmm. right? If they really like some of the granularity, they like some of like the goofiness of like the acquisitions Inc. system or or you know the other downtime systems like. If they want that, then I think you gotta you gotta go there. If they want something different, if they want something more narrative, like I think you've got to kind of work with them to get to what feels satisfying for them. Because you know, there's always that blend of like you feel more powerful, but there's a sense of is that power earned? Right, the mechanics by employing mechanics, you feel like you're earning it a little bit more, and so like you've got to kind of balance that. And, and where that line falls for every player is always different, and every group is always different. Yeah, you're you know your players better than we do so you will know what it is they want to get out of this like do they just want a place to park their gold or like does their character need an outlet for faith or do they need to build something or do they need do they need legacy or something like that you know so like you need to figure that out to figure out what it is you need to give them in terms of mechanically like if you can do this narratively and people are happy with that you'll know that you can do that because you've done a ton of other stuff narratively I would probably be inclined to basically like hand the rules to the players. Even if like, I think maybe they're a little bit broken or whatever and just be like, Hey, here's how you do it. So like you tell me how much you're spending and what you're spending it on and like how long it's going to take and and all of that, you know, and great. If the rules aren't broken, then cool. They have a neat thing that they've built and they'll engage with that in downtime or or you have new plot hooks or whatever. It's a thing you can threaten as a GM, right? It might get burned down or the thieves might get captured or whatever. Um, or it's a thing to like focus their attention on. Maybe like this is a new arc for the game. And if it's unbalanced, then like, okay, they have like a super strong stronghold and like nobody can get inside. And like, there's a crazy, they have the biggest cathedral in all the land. So what? Their adventures aren't happening there. You know, you still got to go save the world. Well, yeah, and, but now you've got a nice cathedral with which to put all the artifacts that you've stolen from other cultures. Sure, that's great. And, like, when the, the gods destroy the world, then, like, so long cathedral. You know, like, it doesn't it doesn't inter- interact with the MacGuffin. I'm happy right. to, like, have you have a kick-ass cathedral. And, like, I'm, I enjoy that. We should, we should do, like, some scenes there. You know what I mean? Where you were like, oh, no, we have to leave our kick-ass cathedral because that's not, like, where the ring can be destroyed. Right. Um, so let, let them have it. And then if the only problem I would see is if it's one of those stronghold books that's like, now you can build a teleportation chamber in your basement and turn this into a flying tower, then perhaps you get some problems because we will fly the tower to Mount Doom. Right. 
Uh, all right, next question. Uh, next series of questions comes from Roman. Uh, do any of your regular group listen to the podcast and talk about it with you? Was there feedback about the Morning Glory recap? Uh, I'll answer the first question. You answer the second question. The first one is, yes, they do listen. Uh, they sometimes talk about it with us. They are mostly just listening to hear if we said their names. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Was there feedback about the Morning Glory recap? Yes, there is feedback. People complain about the characterization of their actions and their intentions. And then I remind them that they're bad people and they made bad tactical decisions. And usually the response is, oh, you're, yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. That's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, or uh, there is also genu genuine uh, reminders of things that happened that we forgot about. Uh, yes. we, we learned <laughs> yes. a lot about Morning Glory through the recap. Yeah, right. And I, I can confidently say that as a player who listened to the recap. <laughs> I did too, because a uh, game happened before a podcast even existed. And so no recap notes were written. <laughs> All right. Uh, second question. Your group plays 5e a lot, but there has been a system, uh, but has there been a system or setting pitched for a long-term campaign that either of you wanted, but didn't work because you couldn't get group buy-in? Um, I haven't pitched these yet. I have been self-censoring. Um, well, actually, no. I pitched a Firefly game, and it didn't mm -hmm. quite get off the ground. I think people are open to that idea. Um, I'd love to play slash run a Harry Potter game in some way. The problem is I seem to be drawn to properties, Firefly and Harry Potter, that have problematic creators. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like, I feel bad about, like, running a game in those settings now. So... There's so many other things that I could be doing or running or whatever. That I'm just kind of like, I'll just I will leave them here and not touch them for now, and I'm fine with that. Other than pirates, what about you? Uh, mine is uh, Knights Black Agents with a K. Oh yeah, so yeah. Uh -huh. fantasy fantasy based Knights Black Agents. So you are uh, agents of the crown uh, of of whatever you know fantasy kingdom or country. Uh, fighting vampires and and other ne'er-do-wells but uh you know fantasy themed can we um try to recruit dracula recruit dracula and then have it go poorly uh well no it's fantasy dude his name is strad <laughs> read a book all right, i'll take it that's fine that's fine but then when we play dracula dossier i want him to look at us like not again <laughs> So that we yes. can suffer the consequences of our own actions. Sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Three. I'm re-listening to some of your book review episodes. You talked about some of the limiting mechanical problems of D&D, such as focus fire being essentially mandatory. What do you do to spice up encounters in 5e, either as a GM or player? I think episode six was on alternative combat what do we call it? Goals? Objectives. Objectives, right. Um, and that's that's usually it. You know, you throw in other mechanics or like other other targets for the party to hit other than reducing the enemy to zero hit points while having to reduce the enemy to zero hit points. Right. Or, you know, smash and grab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, like be open to additional paths to success. Uh, for what are some of your favorite statistics about the podcast? Uh, I am always amazed when I check a random country on iTunes and find a review. Like <laughs> yeah. the, the sheer the sheer volume of countries we do uh, surprisingly well in like Canada, Australia, mm -hmm. Sweden mm -hmm. uh, was a country that we were like 
charting in for a little while. Like, and I'm just like, I don't know. I, I don't know how that happens, uh, but I, I'm flattered that people around the world listen to our episodes. Always appreciative. Um, yeah. I I know plenty of people who don't listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are some of the actual plays or RPG discussion podcasts you listen to regularly? Uh, well, I guess I have to expose my uh, my source on Glorantha is Ken and Robin talk about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, it's a uh, Ken Height and Robin D. Laws host that, and Robin wrote for Glorantha, so uh, including I think wrote the Glorantha based video game by whomever. Uh, so you know he, he he knows a little bit. Um, I mean, we talk about how we don't really listen to actual plays that much. Certainly not anymore. I mean, maybe maybe you have some others. Shout out to Aram, our editor. Uh, I like Kill Every Monster, which I would call, yeah, it's an RPG discussion podcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Slash actual play, actually. Oh, look, look at that. Look, I kind of listened yeah, to it's... an actual play. He's going to win a slashy. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kill Every Monster is great. Um, uh, in terms of actual play, uh, I liked uh, Rise of the Demigods, which uh, is also in, in Aram's uh, God's Fall setting. Uh, I really like Campaign on one shot um uh, yeah I, th- I feel like i've fallen off so many shows uh unfortunately right i mean and notably neither of us are critters is that is that what it's called critters? yeah we don't yeah we don't watch uh we don't watch critical role um of course like i you know i listen to system mastery the rpg academy um kind of a, a lot of the shows that we talk about um at different points in, in episodes i listen to those um but yeah I, actual play has been really limited um Partially because there's so many, so much decent, I don't want to say good, but decent streaming TV to binge. <laughs> and I'm frequently yeah. at home where I can binge it. Yeah, you have, you have other options. Yeah, thanks to COVID. Thanks, COVID. Um, yeah, I'll second system mastery. Uh, and all of the offshoots. There are many, 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 many offshoots of the show. None of them actual play. <laughs> right, yeah. Or RPG discussion. <laughs> right. Uh, was there ever a thought given to having guests or having someone fill in for one of you if you were sick, besides a ROM in the actual play? We, for a hot second, way, way back at the very beginning, considered having guests come in if one of us was sick. I think like I had a business trip or something and couldn't record, and you were like, I could get a guest. And I was like, nah, I'll just figure it out. And then like, I think from, the, from then on, we always just like figured it out weirdly yeah yeah i mean we really have uh, we've missed days but we've never missed weeks um yeah ever other than than you know briefly switching to bi-weekly for for babies um I, yeah so for in terms of guest host no not really um I, we've had a few guests on where we've we've spoken to uh creators so we've spoken to monty cook uh keith baker ken height that's literally um, everybody, every guest we've had on the show. Oh, okay. So three and 300. So that's not too yeah. bad. Yeah. It's a solid one. So I guess we're due episodes. next week. Yeah. <laughs> well, the next hundred episodes we're due. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we're open to it, certainly, though. Like we, but, but, but I think we do it so rarely that we just need to make sure that it's someone who we're like really excited to talk to. Right. I think that's my way of saying like we're, we're not really looking for suggestions. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and part of the problem is just like, a lot of times like people are doing the rounds of interviews right so they're mm-hmm. they're promoting a product or or a certain thing and so it's like well we're going to be you know 
podcast number seven in line <laughs> like to release the same content it, it's probably less evergreen than some of our other episodes uh and so we just don't really want to be in, in the like hype economy um we only take exclusives that yeah it's not i mean it's not even that it's just, it's you know it's just also like we have our thing you know for a long time we were recording in person like trying to add a guest into that mix when we recorded in person was difficult. Like we've obviously changed that, uh, <laughs> several years ago now, frankly, Jesus, but yeah. like, you know, it's, it's just like, so there were, there were those kind of things. And then like, we've got it down to, to what we need to record in our time frames. So it's the adding a guest in just, you know, it, it's another person to schedule another person to edit another person to like kind of yeah. have to coordinate with. So, and their audio is usually bad quality. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shane, Last question from Roman. I'm interested in your answer to this. Considering it is episode 300, how far ahead do you think you still have content for? Uh, negative 120 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we ran out 120 episodes ago. We've been beating a dead horse since. Yeah, you ran out. I I genuinely think I've got probably at least ideas ideas for at least 300 more episodes. I yes uh i i mean i guess yeah i can i can peel back the curtain a little bit i have struggled uh for a while with writer's block um that's why some of the episodes that i've written have been a little more esoteric um because like i am i'm i have found a lot of trouble writing especially our like series episodes mm. like i have really had trouble um kind of filling out the format on those and uh and that's been a a, a very difficult thing for me to do um, particularly I think because I have so little like creative space left <laughs> in like you know like uh, to like to spend bandwidth on that has been very challenging um so yeah I I, I, I yeah <laughs> I um, haven't noticed I've noticed uh, <laughs> great it's always good when your partner says hey you've been phoning it in cool, 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 cool. i've been carrying us like i know i know it's, it's true <laughs> and i'm just Whatever. i'm just glad we're we're airing all these grievances this is nonsense my my character creation build still f <laughs> <laughs> where else are you where else are you gonna get the plot of urban cowboy personified <laughs> look when there was only one set of footprints um it was there that we took an Aarakocra for wings, obviously. <laughs> you know what we like? What we absolutely do like? Ideas for episodes. Tweet us. Put that in the, in the Discord. Email us. Um, I would say like 90% of those end up as episodes because like they're good ideas. Yep, that's true. And well, 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 we have a lightning round from friend of the show, Longtime listener, guy who lives in Ronkonkoma, Matt Brody. <laughs> it's not where he lives. It's just the station that we had it's to go to. All the same. Visit him. It's okay. the same thing. <laughs> guy, this show is hosted by a guy who doesn't understand Long Island geography. Nope. <laughs> who technically lives on Long Island? Uh huh. <laughs> That's true. But don't tell anyone in Brooklyn that. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Kings County, Long Island. All right. Uh, okay. So lightning round uh, from Matt. What 40K creature or people has no official GW figure, but has a special place in your heart? This is you. I don't know what has a figure or not. Uh, well, why don't you tell me what has a special place in your heart? And I'll tell you if they have a figure. Uh, 
Mm. This is just a concept. I really like the uh, the good sides of the chaos gods, right? Like the like Zinch represents hope. Um, you know, corn represents like honor. Uh, Slanesh represents perfection. Like those the the higher aspirations of of humanity. Um, I really like that because those are still evil and leads chaos in 40k. <laughs> Uh, yes, that is true. There is no embodiment of hope model for Zinch. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, that has no official GW figure. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's a Ravener fig- figure. And I think mm. that would just be very, very funny to have your Inquisitor just be like a floating egg. Like, metal coffin yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think that would be a really really funny figure and i would absolutely buy that i don't hate that at all uh okay next question is there a cool or special heraldry or emblem you've made or painted for a game that you're proud of if not do you have one in the back burner you could toss out here heraldry uh i made some heraldry for uh a bunch of characters in the group actually for our rebel crown game uh you would not recall because you were not present for that game. That, was, that game lasted almost exactly seven months. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I created sigils for everybody. That's cool because I think I built a character for that game and like the the family crest was, a I think, a hare, like a rabbit. Oh, uh, so, I did not draw you a rabbit. Well, sorry. You know, I did not exist, so. But it was, <laughs> that would have been interesting. Uh, our uh, our claimant in Rebel Crown, uh, its symbol was the Imperial Aquila, poorly drawn, uh, over a stag's head. Or a stag's skull, rather. Okay, that's creepy. My character was the uh, the claimant's red right hand, and uh, mine was a Jolly Roger holding a red harp and a red uh, uh, saber. Dig it. So like the like the skeleton drawn, you know, like the, the OG Jolly Roger, not the like right. cross blade, yeah. Uh, and then we had we had a sigil that was a lantern shining. There was one that was a feather and flowers. Uh, and then there was one that was a, uh, I think it was a cherry blossom tree uh, branch. All right, next up, what's your favorite bourbon? Very specific, Matt. Very specific. Although bourbon is not capitalized here, so does that mean fake bourbons are allowed? I mean, I think that's obvious, right? That's Louis Fourteenth. Uh, I like the 16th. Was he the Sun King? I don't even remember. He was, he was the Sun King. 16th okay, lost his head. Okay, cool. Oh, well, then it was 16th. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the top half. Right. <laughs> what are you drinking? Uh, I mean, I mostly drink Maker's Mark. Hmm. Um, I, I, started, I started just drinking Maker's Mark because I was not enjoying high, like, high-priced, rare, exotic non-Kentuckian bourbon bourbon exploration nearly as much as I thought I would. So I switched to scotch. Um, so I just drink Maker's Mark, uh, which I am perfectly okay with. Uh, and I drink, I, I used to drink a lot of Woodford Reserve because that mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. the uh, Delta in-flight uh, bourbon. <laughs> so I had a lot of mini bottles, uh, a lot of airplane bottles left over. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's fine. Um. Yeah, Woodford would probably be my choice, mainly because like the bottle when you get a handle looks great. It is a, it is a clean clean bottle. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you know, if you're gonna have a a display of liquors at a party or whatever, you know, people pick that one up. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say I try not to buy actual bourbon these days because like I just hate Mitch McConnell. Uh, so you know anything I can do to not give money to his state, I do. But also like yes, I I prefer Scotch. Um, Oban was probably my go-to. Um, and then Japanese whiskeys are excellent. I highly recommend a Hibiki. Yeah, uh, the 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 Japanese whiskey game is real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that is a, a rare disappointment. If uh, if it makes it from Japan to U.S. shelves, it's probably worth trying. I mean, like like a, a, a mid shelf Toki is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right, next question. Spent too much money on Kickstarter this year, so it begs the question: Which five E world or setting would you two be most interested in exploring together? Multiple choice. Uh, Iron Kingdoms, Broncolonia, Plangia. Uh, okay. What are the last two? I would have to look those up. Broncolonia. Uh, do I just... don't know that one at all. Plangia is the thing with like dinosaurs. That pan Pangia. But it's a pl- I I guess it's Iron Kingdoms by default for me. Broncolonia is spaghetti fantasy based on Italian tradition, folklore, history, landscapes, literature, and pop culture. Okay. Well, I'm going to stick with Iron Kingdoms because it's the one that I know a little bit about. Also, will too, just because I have had a hankering. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's your favorite polearm? What's your favorite polearm, Shane? Glaive. Interesting. Why the glaive? Sword on a stick. I don't know. Like, why are you even asking me? I don't mm-hmm. know. What, what, mm-hmm. what else mm-hmm. should I... What else could I say? No, you're right. I mean, you, you, you could have said like hammer on a stick or like you know, pickaxe on a stick or whatever, right? But like sword on the stick is the, is the obvious cool choice. I mean, pickaxe on a stick is just a pickaxe. Like a very, but on like a very long stick. Yeah, but still <laughs> just a hammer. Sword on a stick, you can't just get that everywhere, anywhere. It is rare, I think, when we, when we find some like common ground that we didn't know existed before. Um, and I wanted you to say your polearm first because I have a lot, I have a lot of feelings about polearms. Um, and my favorite polearm is the guandao, which is the Chinese version of the glaive. Oh, okay. All right. Sword on a stick, right? Curved sword on a big, long stick. And they're traditionally made like extremely heavy. Like ceremonial versions are obviously like too heavy to use in combat, but there is a type of martial art that uses a very heavy guandao. And then it's related to the Japanese naganada, which I think is probably like the most beautiful and elegant of the pole arms. If you get one of those that's basically like katana blade, and then like, you know, three foot staff together. So it's like it's like exceptionally clean lines. Uh, and then also like um, the the naganata is uh, has a long history of traditionally being wielded by women, which I also think is cool. Oh, well, there you go. And lots of spinning. Uh, who doesn't love spinning? Uh, you gotta love spinning. Have any of the movies or shows you watch with your kids led to any ideas for current or future gaming? Uh, the only show I've watched with her is, and it's like barely even at all, to be honest, is Sesame Street. Uh, and, you know, Elmo is great for keeping her dancing, uh, not great for inspiring RPGs. I mean, some kind of like mesmerizing Pied Piper type scenario, perhaps. Um, do children's shows inspire gaming? See this week's Character Creation Forge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, would you or have you eaten cicada tacos? I have not eaten cicada tacos. I would totally eat cicada tacos. Uh, I grew up in the South. I have not eaten them. I would not eat a cicada. F- cicadas. <laughs> That's why you eat them. 
<laughs> Once Did every any... 17 years. It's a delicacy. <laughs> no. Did any new hobbies or old ones resurface during your time working from home? I feel like the answer has to be yes. Aren't you painting more? Uh, I was, yeah. That is that is come and gone a little bit. Um, but that that's yeah. I paint a lot more, uh, but that's kind of cyclical. I play a lot more video games. Uh, now that I'm home more, like that that tends to be what I do instead of commuting is I just play video games. This is not a new hobby, and it's not an old one that resurfaced. It just sort of fits the bill here. Um, I I have always cooked. I've always been the main cook. Um, I've always cooked the majority of our meals, but now I cook ninety percent of them, um, including baby's meals. So now it's now like I'm frantically in the kitchen all the time, constantly, and that's because like I'm responsible for every breakfast and every lunch. Like no no one is picking up uh you know takeout on their lunch break anymore. No one is uh, grabbing coffee at the at the coffee shop on the other side of town for I'm I am currently grabbing coffee. I am pulling espresso shots. Mm at home fun so you're a barista now yes absolutely okay. uh you're both playing a character in a new eberron campaign for fun let's just call it morning fogs mm -hmm. and you have to make characters from droam what do you roll up uh null patrol uh i'm i'm down with null patrol uh otherwise i'm going half or barbarian mm, i like it i would also play um ogre mage and oni mm. Um, I like them a lot. I love the combination of uh, strength intelligence in any character. Have either of you ever played a role that had a basically happy backstory or background? Uh, I felt so feel so called out by this. I don't think so. <laughs> My Lancer character had a happy background. Uh, well, um, but didn't he get like excommunicated or something? Or yeah, like, but it was out? great, dude. He's a rock star, <laughs> <laughs> a secret rock star that nobody knows about because he's always undercover. Come on. I mean, people know Star <laughs> Um, You know, even my Lancer character had a tragic backstory. I mean, my my strange async Quinn from Eclipse phases maybe like didn't have a tragic backstory. He just was strange. You mean strange. like maybe one of his backstories wasn't <clears throat> tragic? I mean, yes. Some of the others probably like were terrible sob stories. Right. Um, and I played a... Um, I played a wizard in Shadowrun called Divide by Zero who had no long-term memory. So he wasn't sad at all. <laughs> That's tragic. Uh, which of the new systems you've tried this last year have been your favorites? Band of Blades, I guess. Is that in the last year? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, I mean, I th man, the only new system I can think of off the top of my head that we tried in the past year was Rebel Crown, and Not that wasn't my favorite. favorite. No. Eberron, the realms, Athos, and Abirnus are places I know you guys have adventured before. What new to you established D and D worlds do you have an inkling to delve into next? Oh, it's Abirnus. Uh, I can't read. I don't know where that is. So that's birthright. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's pronounced Avarice. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> new to us D and D worlds? Are there new to us D and D worlds? Uh, you know, I've only played one game in Greyhawk. Um, I'd be interested in seeing Greyhawk. I'm not opposed. I mean, I, I, it's better than Dragonlance. I don't want to play Dragonlance. Not okay, because that was the next option on my list that I of DD settings I know of. <laughs> um, Spelljammer. Um, yeah, I've never, I've never played Spelljammer. Like, 
like flying through the Flogiston. I haven't done that either. So yeah, I'm on board. Okay. Yeah. Uh, red or white? Red. Uh, also red. Mm-hmm. What surface element do you prefer your piracy to take place in? Sea, void, astral, or air? Air. Uh, no, I'm a traditionalist. Give me C. Okay. I want to play a tailspin game. Oh, yo. All right. With all this Spider-Verse talk and as New York City boys, you should have a favorite wall crawler. So which spider character is your favorite? And which actor has played your favorite favorite spider person? Spider Gwen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I think I like Miles Morales uh, based solely. I, I have not seen a Spider-Man film since Tobey Maguire was Spider-Man. Wow. Um, so I, I yeah. Uh, but I really like Miles Morales' characterization in the Miles Morales video game. Uh, so I like that. Uh, he, I guess he is my favorite um which actor has played your favorite spider person um well obviously uh i guess he was animated i don't know the who the voice actor was for into the spider verse i mean that was great yeah best uh, marvel movie in 20 years i don't know yeah well didn't see it so thanks for rubbing it in uh i guess i mean by default my answer has to be toby mcguire because that's the only <laughs> oh no 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 uh civil war had uh had the new guy right the tom james garfield okay tom holland sure <laughs> <laughs> great so i guess i like tom holland better than i like toby mcguire and, and then and then andrew garfield yeah uh yeah andrew garfield was not, was not my favorite okay i don't what did i, I don't know. whatever i don't care <laughs> Because uh, yeah, Andrew Garfield just always talking about Mondays and eating his lasagna. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like John let him out of the house. That's weird. How does Odie feel about it? Uh, how do we feel about the mashups on the horizon with uh, Magic: The Gathering? I was opposed, and now like I'm fine with it. I'm just trying to look at it as like new content that can have serial numbers scrubbed off. Yeah, I. Uh, oh, you're thinking from a from a D and D from a D and D perspective. Uh, I, I'm thinking, I, I think this is more in reference to the crossovers that Magic the Gathering is doing with other properties, like the D&D set that they did. Uh, I know they've announced a partnership with Games Workshop to do a Oh, like they're showing up on cards? Set. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, I also don't care. I don't I don't think keeping the stream separate is that, uh, that much of a holy, like, writ. Um, I will say like I, from the D and D cards, like I thought a lot of the card design was kind of clever, like the way that like they implemented thematically, uh, things into card like rules. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought was, was a lot of those were kind of clever and kind of cool. I've really enjoyed people posting pictures of them in our discord. Cause I oh, yeah, please those, keep doing but, that. Absolutely. Um, and I'm sure the 40 K ones are also going to be great. So yeah, don't care. And then if D&D wanted to rebrand themselves away from the Draconic Ampersand, what would each of you suggest as a label or icon? Um, cash cow, pig with dollar signs for eyes. <laughs> is there a... Uh... <laughs> is there a flag for, like, representation for profit? <laughs> <laughs> what color scheme do I need on a uh, on a pride flag for that? <laughs> it's just it's many shades of green. Okay, yeah, I'll take that. All right, and then uh, and then our final question of the mailbag from uh, from home group member Susie. Get the sensor ready, Aram. This is going to be a busy one. Fuck, Mary, kill, 
Fight, mingle, kamehameha. Had to make six options. The home group. I mean, in a situation like this, you just must assume that you are going to die. And so you want to cause as much chaos as possible. Okay. It's mm, a complicated one. Have have you thought this through? Do you do you know yours? Your six? Uh uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I can piece it together. I thought it through when I first saw this question. So, uh, kill, obviously I have to reserve that for the only person who could actually potentially kill me in the group. That would be Cam. So, sorry, Cam. Yeah, so fight is an easy one. Um, I would win a fight with anybody in the group, so I don't care about that. Uh, mingle. So, so the problem with mingle is that it's a, like, within the confines of this exercise, right? Like, it's meant to be, like, your relationship is now limited to this. Right. And so you basically you get to mingle for a while and then you lose that person entirely. That's like almost worse than death for some of them. Kamehameha, I hear, is like particle destruction. But mm -hmm. if you're high mm -hmm. enough level, you can survive it, which yep. means I cannot Kamehameha you uh, and take control of the uh, of the show because you are high enough level by virtue of being ancient that mm -hmm. you could survive it. Uh, you probably have legendary saves. So I have to pivot. I have to kill you to take control of the show. I have to Kamehameha Cam. I have to Kamehameha Cam. Ah, because he is a baby. Uh, <laughs> correct. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's the only one who could potentially win a fight against me. Mm -hmm. uh, I uh, I suppose I would marry... Man, Angelo is by far the most like doting of the spouses. Mm -hmm, so I think mm -hmm. I have to marry Angelo because that's just pure profit. Uh, then who do I have left? I have fight, mingle, and f Um, Again, I think mingle is like the meanest of all. I, uh, I, I got to do that to somebody, don't I? Yeah, who, who are you going to acquaintance? Uh, man. I, you know what? I think I mingle Jim because we share enough interests. We'll find each other again. Adorable. Um, and then a question between Susie and Steph for who is most dangerous to me in a fight. Uh, Steph is pretty scrappy, so I think I fight Susie, and I guess I fuck Steph. It's uncomfortable. There you have it. Yeah, there you have I, it. I went. I went pure risk aversion. Like I, I made sure that I survive in my in my list. I did not mm -hmm. uh, take the opportunity for any desire uh, to be highlighted here. You know, you know what? That, no, think... that's not true. I was very selfish about marrying Angelo. <laughs> <laughs> well reasoned. Well reasoned. I, How about yourself? I um, kamehameha myself and do not block it. I die. I go to the afterlife to King Kai's world, where now I can train at 10 times gravity for pretty much as long as I want. Um, I find all the Dragon Balls. Then um, I wish myself back to life. Um and now I have learned uh, instant transmission because uh, I've trained so hard and now I can be pretty much all places at once. And so now there are six of me and I do all of these to all of you. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. Ishan wants to f*** me. <laughs> <laughs> Put that one in your tumbler, Susie. Uh, you're welcome. All right. Uh, now that we've ruined the home group in yet another way... Now that Susie has ruined the, the home group once again. We will thank you, listeners, 
once again for sticking with us for 300 episodes uh this has been a long episode but a fun one uh we really appreciate all the uh all the various questions that came in uh, uh we got also got a lot of emails that were just like hey congratulations don't have a question um we appreciate those too uh, yeah, I mean, like for for like a brief moment of of sincerity, um, it, it sort of blows my mind that all of you tune in regularly to hear us talk about ridiculous things, um, or to go like far too deep into the nitty gritty of like you know RPG mechanics and you know table talk and and stuff like that. But like it's extremely appreciated. Like during lockdown, prior to lockdown, like it's feels like an accomplishment here and it also feels like a really cool community of people that has been built thanks to this so please continue to listen and you know hop on by and say hi come on come over to the discord cool stuff is happening yeah and uh and and once again thank you all right do you hear that ishan oh we're moving on to the character creation forge Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. You can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So this week in the Forge, we have Dora the Explorer, popular with kids of all ages for decades. And we have two kids now. So I don't know. Maybe maybe this will be their first character. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, Dora spun off a live action movie. So it means we have some additional feats rather than just, you know, what a seven-year-old with a backpack would be capable of doing to make it a little more interesting. Okay, sure. What's the build? Beastmaster Ranger 8, Inquisitive Rogue 11, Knowledge Cleric 1. Obviously, as a human, you get a feat, uh, so you are going to take Athlete because Dora's actually pretty good at exploring ruins, jump, jumping all around, following clues down to wherever they need, to, uh, wherever, they, wherever they lead. Okay. We kick it off with five levels of Ranger. We take favorite enemy beasts. Why? Because her arch enemy is the notorious Thieving Fox Swiper. Okay? So, we just if we see him, we're going to tell him a stern no. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. We we are going to take natural explorer, not the optional deft explorer, because we want favored terrain forests. Because, um, I don't know. She's always in a forest. It looks like often. Okay, but she eventually gets two more favored terrains, where she'll get advantage on intelligence or wisdom checks related to that. Remember, you don't have to be in your favored terrain. You just need to be about your favored terrain. You'll ignore difficult terrain there. And when you're in your favorite terrain, you cannot become lost except by magical means. Dora is an explorer and always finds her way home. True. This is the thing that I know about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, fighting style. We'll go dueling. Uh, optional feature primal awareness gives you more spells, one of which is speak with animals, which is how she is able to speak with her monkey companion, Boots, who okay. is statted as a primal companion from Tasha's when you hit third level and get your Beastmaster companion. You get some spells, animal friendship, obviously, beast bond, and locate object to find what swiper has swiped. We need to follow the clues in order to find what it is that's missing. Also, extra attack. Okay. We'll also gain cantrips like guidance and command in our first level spell. We're here because how do you stop swiper from swiping? 
you tell him swipe or no swiping three times. If that is not a command, well, you just need to say it with stern countenance. Swipe or no swiping. Okay. I cast command. He feels his wisdom save and he stops swiping. I've never seen this show. <laughs> well, you will. Uh, it was like on for like 20 years. Anyway, so nine levels of rogue for four more expertises in pretty much all you want. Uh, maybe just not stealth because she, she talks a lot. <laughs> 5d6 sneak attack, cunning action to keep on moving at, at quite a clip. And insight, ch insight checks versus lying. Um, when making those, you uh, always get an eight or higher uh, on the die. In order to tell who is trying to fool you, who has stolen something, where where is is the artifact hidden? Now you know. Well, yeah, we know Swiper swiped it. It might be Swiper, but you never know. Maybe Swiper is going to start paying people off in order to, <laughs> right? Okay. Sure. And as a bonus action, you can make a perception or investigation check to what? Find or decipher clues. That's your whole job. That is all that you do. Okay? Now, remember, you have guidance. So if you need a little help, you just pause for a moment. You look out into uh, the distance to break the fourth wall. You cast guidance and you ask the audience for some help. And they yell it at the screen. And now you know what to do. You can also make an insight check in order to enable your sneak attack. Uh, you'll get uncanny dodge and you'll get an evasion. And then advantage on insight. Or perception checks when moving half speed. You have tiny little legs. I think you're always moving at half speed. An eighth level ranger will pick up land stride and an ASI and then take rogue to 11 for reliable talent. As for gear, you're going to have a, a Dora's handy haversack. Okay. Mm -hmm. That one checks out. And your monkey boots has a pair of boots. And, <laughs> so, and no so other boots clothes. Wearing boots? boots is wearing boots. Red boots. Okay. Mm -hmm. Does boots always wear boots? Mm -hmm. Yep. And only oh. boots. Oh. Okay. Which uh, which which legs does he wear boots on? Uh, the bottom legs. Okay. <laughs> Just making sure. <laughs> Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. And supporters at any level get access to our plot hook of the week bonus content. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, and if you do, we will read it on the show, just like this one. Five stars by Nail Simmerhorn. Entertaining, fun, unfortunately woke. Generally, phenomenal work, guys. I saved this one for episode 300. This, this I think, might be my favorite review that we have ever gotten. I think that is going in my Twitter bio right now. <laughs> unfortunately woke. Unfo entertaining, fun, unfortunately woke. <laughs> okay. Is this true? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Like un unabashedly, like I voted for Ralph Nader twice. Okay. <laughs> like <laughs> that's, that's when you couldn't even call yourself a liberal, you know, and now that's a dirty word. Um, okay. I, I like reviews like this because it means that now i think you mean that woke is not a great thing but you're listening to the show and i th i think that also means that you're being exposed to two woke dudes every single week talking about talking about some stuff like hi find a group that focuses on intersectional feminism <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, maybe like one and a half woke dudes i don't think i have <laughs> enough cred uh nail says you are so i'm i'm sorry that's you've been you have been identified as such, and therefore, 
Yes, you know, you don't get you don't get to choose how you identify Shane. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> I was assigned not woke at birth. Yep. <laughs> um, so like I'll just say, like, now you you're listening if you're still listening to this show, cool. You know? Um consider though that maybe wokeness is not all that bad. And you know, if you listen with empathy to the people around you who you might be calling disparagingly woke you might find that you become a better partner or a better person but maybe you don't care about those things it will make you a better player at a table if you like care about other people's fun and like make them feeling making them feel included so i would just leave you with that tidbit of wisdom yeah, it also helps if you don't, um, you know, infect them with a with a pandemic disease because you're not getting vaccinated to own the libs or whatever. Oh, see do. that that is the uh, the danger of mingle. Susie was throwing that out. <laughs> you're gonna get COVID. Oh right. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> let's see if we can pound some ivermectin and get rid of that. It, 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 it's a suppository, right? I, I don't know. <laughs> Why do you think I know anything about I'm, these things? I'm telling all you listeners out there who d- desperately want ivermectin, it's a suppository. <laughs> it's, it must be French. Uh, so what do we have planned for next week's episode? Well, you begged for it. So you've got it. We are kicking off an entire month of actual play episodes and running more Tez Proudgale in 5e Eberron solo. Well, that's it for episode 300 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.